Hey, welcome to the Faith NFM podcast. We appreciate your time today, and we encourage you to head on over to faithnfm.com where you can find the notes for this presentation, as well as links to all that's happening around Faith Assembly. Our hope is that this message helps move you forward in your faith journey. Well, good morning. Glad that you're with us today. Uh, if you're looking for a church home, we believe you found it. We love our guests who are checking us out for the first time, second time, maybe the seventh time, and you're still church shopping. Well, we believe you found the right church. We've been in this series called The Good News, Sharing Jesus in a Skeptical World. How many of us know out there, people can be pretty skeptical, right? With all our news intake, without all the information that we're privileged to, that when someone says something, it's almost like, do I really believe that now? Do I really buy into that? So we've been talking uh, about sharing Jesus, and it stemmed from back in Easter, we asked you, what are the two main topics that you would like us to preach about, teach about? First one being the Holy Spirit, and a close second was simply how to share your faith. Look, uh, it, it's, it's no new news that we have the best news ever, the good news of Jesus Christ, what he's done in our life, what he can do in our life, what he will continue to do in our life. And it's our responsibility to also share that with people. So we want to equip you. As a pastor, my job is to equip you to go out and outside of these walls, take the best news and transform a life because you've given someone that opportunity. So we've been looking at tips these past several weeks. We talked about how hospitality matters, how we need to help people encounter Jesus, stop over explaining Jesus. We talked about how we need to be first to listen. Can I get an amen, right? Be, be people who can listen. Today, I want to give you our fifth and final tip as we close out this message series, and it's this. Be the connection point. Be the connection point to God. Be the connection point. Um, I, I was reminded about 13 years ago of the importance of what it means to live out a life for Jesus. I, I, I came out of Bible college, and I, truth be told, I wasn't sure if I wanted to be like a formal pastor. Every time I saw a pastor, I was like, man, I don't really fit that jam. I was like, they're not really like, I'll leave that to those guys. And, and so there's not a whole lot you can do with a Bible college degree. You're like, I tried engineering. They're like, dude, you went to Bible college. You know theology. You don't know numbers. I'm like, yeah, I failed out of algebra. Hey, we'll give it a shot. You know, I'm like, I'm throwing out things, you know, like just, I didn't know what to do. They're like, hey, you can't go into medicine because, well, you have a spiritual doctorate degree, not a physical doctorate degree kind of thing. I wish I had a real actual actual doctorate, so I don't, uh, just a theology degree. And uh, when I'm trying to figure this out, I, I started asking and exploring things, this one area being a chaplain, a military chaplain. You know, like, you can just see me, like, I look like I should be in the military, right? You know, <laughs> not really. Um, but I started talking to my friend Rich about it. I'm like, hey, Rich, you know, uh, like, he was a chaplain, and, and it's extensive work. I mean, a master's of divinity, and he's telling me about some of his experience. And he shares this story that was life-changing that I'll never forget. He says this one particular time he was serving and, and he was under a CO that didn't care, a, a, a commanding officer, didn't care for anything related to religion. It didn't matter if you're Hindu, Buddhist, Baptist, Pentecostal, Evangelical, Christian, he didn't care. 
So he would, uh, typically during your chaplaincy, you have to be very pluralistic, meaning if someone is a Buddhist, you have to help them do what they need to do to practice Buddhism. If someone's an evangelical Christian, you help them in, in their lane. It's not you just get to help any way you feel, it's you're there for the, the spirituality of the troops. And so this one particular time, he's... he's uh, with uh, uh, troops members, and, and this, this CO is just dehumanizing him. Just, just say, hey, go talk to the religious guy, you know, like, hey, go handle all the problems, and, and, you know, those who believe in that, you know, garbage, like, just go to him. And so he was like, I'm in this unit, and this, this CO could care less. Is, is pretty abnormal. Like, and so this one particular instance happens where the, the, the troops, the group of soldiers, they went through something and, and there was loss, significant loss within the, the, the group. And, and so he, he's going through it, the morale's low, people are sad, people are feeling it, asking the big questions, what if, what, what is uh, beyond, what's next? There's a lot of hurt, pain, as you can imagine. So then he gets this, gets this text message from the commanding officer. He's like, hey, come to my office first thing when you get in. So he shows up, and, and my friend Rich, who's a chaplain, says, he was like, I was expecting for whatever reason to get yelled at again. I was expecting to get dismissed, made fun of, like, see, point proven, your stuff doesn't work. If your God really loved people, then, then he wouldn't have let this happen. He said he was expecting all of that. So he had all his answers dialed in. He was like, I need to review some things and, and go through some things. And so when the CO sits him down there across the desk, the CO just very calmly says, hey, can you pray for me? You know, a lot of times in the way you live your life, the people around you are spiritually curious and you're their only connection point. You know, we use sayings like, you're sometimes the, the only Jesus someone will ever meet. You're sometimes the only Bible someone will ever read. You're the only gospel song someone will ever listen to. Is that you are a connection point to someone who is holy, who's given up his life for us. If you like it or if you don't, the truth of the matter is you're a representative of Jesus everywhere you go. And so when we're talking about our tips of how do we share the gospel, it's important to understand that you are a connection point to God, that you are the conduit for many people in your neighborhoods, at work, with your friends on the weekend, that you are the only thing they even know, remotely know, that can connect you to, connect them to God. Uh, we see this when we, when we look in 1 Corinthians. When we look in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, verse 33. So tip number five, be the connection point to God. Be the connection point to God. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 33, Paul is writing to a church of Corinth. Now, they have a messy church. They have a lot of issues in this church. There's marriage problems. There's, there's lawsuits taking place. There's immorality happening within their church. There's, there's some false teachings that's taking place. And so Paul writes a lot of letters to the Corinth church to address some major issues. Uh, so how many of you came in, you're like, you know, church is polished. From the very onset of time, church has been pretty messy. 
how many of us feel good now? Like, hey, there's some issues that we all have that we're navigating through. And so when Paul is addressing this group, he, he leaves this statement, and it's important for us to hone in when it talks about when we talk about being the connection point. In verse 33, he says this: I too try to please everyone in everything I do. Come on, people pleasers. Like that's a verse for you right now. But be a people pleaser in this way. I don't just do what is best for me. I do what is best for others so that many may be saved. So you please people to help them meet Jesus in a very real radical way. You're their connection point. And you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. Imitate me just as I imitate Christ. This is what Paul writes to a very messy church. I want to bring you to this word imitate uh, because there's, there's a lot of things that kind of get mixed around in culture and society. First, do you know in the Bible the word mentor never exists? I always thought that was interesting. Last night when I was kind of going back through my notes, I started kind of diving in and there was a question that kind of, I mean, I was like, oh, the word mentor. Now, from a general sense, you see that word practice from what we understand of mentorship from Paul and Timothy, Jesus and the disciples. You see the idea of mentorship, but it never actually exists. Jesus doesn't say go and find a mentor or go and be a mentor. I love how Paul puts it in the ESV translation. He says, find people to imitate. Imitation. I look at some of the spiritual giants in my life. It never really happened because they sat me down over a cup of coffee and said, let me mentor you. You know, it was, I saw the spiritual giants in my life from afar and said, I want to imitate their life because I want a healthy family. I want to be wise with my finances. I want to be smart in the way I conduct myself and what I'm practicing or my profession. I think a lot of times we have this idea that I need someone to mentor me to keep me on track. When Paul says, go and find someone, imitate, he says, imitate us just as we have imitated Christ. Twelve times we see this throughout the New Testament. See, this is contrary to culture. Culture in America, in our world right now says, hey, act any way you want, be you, your identity, it matters. If you feel this way, live this way, whatever your truth is, that's your truth. But when Jesus calls his disciples and Paul says, imitate, Jesus says, come and follow. Paul says, imitate me. That means you're learning from their behavior. That means you're almost a clone of that person. And if you are doing what a, a, a God-righteous person is doing, you're going to experience the same ramifications of that godly and righteous person. You've got to find someone that you can imitate. So when I started thinking last night, when we're, we're talking about this idea of being a connection point, this question couldn't leave me. And the question was simply this, who are you imitating? If I asked you right now, who are you imitating? Someone actually pop into your mind? Or are you sitting there like, I don't really know who I'm imitating. Like you might be seasoned in life and had some years under the belt. And you're like, I don't really need to imitate. No, every step of the way. When Paul speaks to the, of the Thessalonians, one of the most commended churches that he planted, very quickly they caught the gospel, they ran with the gospel, transformed their community. He says this, you became 
imitators of us and of God. See, when Paul writes the Thessalonians, he doesn't have to, to, to get mad at them for not following God. He doesn't have to get frustrated with them for not practicing and having all these issues. The church of Corinth says this. They understood who Paul was. They imitated Paul and they imitated Jesus. So when it comes to being a connection point, a starting place for us, it's not in your notes, but I would write this question down for you. Who are you imitating? If you're a young person in this place and be like, I need, a, I need a mentor in my life, don't lead with the question of, I need a mentor. You need to ask yourself, hey, I need to imitate someone. And this is counter-thinking to culture when it's all about you, when really it's about saying, hey, I need to live a godly, righteous life. So who are you imitating? When we discover and we see who we are imitating, it allows us to get a crystal clear picture on how we can become someone's connection point, how we can become someone's connection point. So let's talk about three different ways we can become someone's connection point. First way is this, live wisely. Live wisely. Um, It's been said that people are really attracted to, to two sorts of Uh, events or things that kind of happen that strike people's curiosity. The first one is stupid. People are attracted to stupid. Let's be honest. Like, let's think of the, uh, when I was in college and these viral videos were going around, I remember my roommate coming in and be like, hey, dude, have you seen this YouTube video? Double rainbow. And it's like, ah, the double rainbow. It's this guy going ham on this video camera. He records himself. He's like, double rainbow. Or then it's this lady. She's in a bucket and she's smashing grapes and then she falls over in like millions and millions of views. It's like, all this attention on something so ridiculous. But then on the other side, we have those people who can follow YouTube and it's like you click on, it's like, hey, how to repair your engine in four or five steps. And you're like the smart people and you're like figuring it all out. And you got like smart and stupid. People are attracted to both in two primary categories. Here's my hope for us as a church, that people are attracted to the way you're living your life through a life of wisdom. way you're living your life through a life of wisdom. I think too many times people see and recognize the church as, man, there's some Christians over there and they're making some really dumb choices. There's some Christians over there, man, like I don't want that kind of life. Like they're, they're stressed to the max because they're in all this debt. Oh, there's some Christians over there, like he treats his wife so poorly. Why would I want that? See, when we have biblical wisdom, it should attract people to us. People want to know, hey, let's say you're smart, you're living biblically wise, and you save and you invest properly. People are like, hey, why are you so smart with finances? I want to know what you have. Hey, you're raising your kids well. Like, how are you raising your kids well? I want that. I need to glean into that. I think one of the greatest marks, parents in the room, I want to test you with this and challenge you with this. Ask other people, teachers, coaches, other adults, hey, how are my kids? Like, like when I'm not around, how are my kids behaving? And, and, and then say this line, give me your honest opinion. Because a lot of people, they'll be intimidated to say like, well, your kid's actually a tyrant. 
Like, no one likes your kid. Your kid just sits over here. And, and you're like, well, well why? And, and you've got to explore that. See, wisdom, it, no one says to the bad parents, hey, let me learn how to be a bad parent. But you know what we all say when it's like, man, their kids are awesome. How do I parent like that? Like, wisdom attracts the curiosity of us. When you're looking at a marriage, I think Christians, number one people, followers of Jesus, should have the best, most lively uh, marriages ever. Like, nothing is more depleting than, like, yeah, we're married and we follow Jesus, and, like, look, woo, life's fun. I'm like, no, you get excited. You know what I'm saying? Excited when you're married. Like, enjoy life. Wisdom in that marriage attracts people to ask questions that strike curiosity about your faith. So, two ways we display wisdom. First one is action. Second one is language. First one is action. The actions of your life display your wisdom in your life. The language you use also will tell people a lot about the wisdom God's biblical wisdom in your life. Colossians chapter 4, verse 5, Paul says this, live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. I'm going to pause there. A lot of times when we go back to Corinthians and Paul saying, imitate me as I have imitated Christ, many times people want to think if I practice spiritual disciplines as praying, reading my Bible, going to church, we have this inward focus that I do it for my own spirituality. I do it for my own faith walk. Paul is saying here in Colossians that not only do you imitate Jesus for your own spirituality and your own growth, but you imitate Jesus to show others, outsiders, who Jesus is. And I think a lot of times we forget that second half and we say, oh, I just need to grow with God. I just need to have God in my life and I need to be a better Christian and have all these things go on. And Paul's saying, hey, part of the reason you imitate Jesus is so people can know and learn about Jesus because you're living practically and biblically wise. Colossians 4, 6, he says, let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Here we go. Wisdom is the practical application of God's truth. Wisdom is the practical application of God's truth. When Paul is talking about, hey, that you live wisely, he's saying that the longer you live wisely, the more that you show wisdom, what you're doing in this Greek tense, you are buying time with people around you. People start to know it. People start to see it. People say, hey, they're wise. How do I learn about that? Hey, they're wise. They got something. And the more you live wise, the more you buy time, you have more chips in your pocket to say, let me tell you a little bit about Jesus because the wisdom in my life is declaring Jesus. So let's talk about language when it comes to our wise language. Wise language is knowing how to respond knowing how to respond. Um, anybody ever have issues responding correctly? Husbands, every hand should have gone up, right? Like there's some things that we've, we've challenged with. You have people that want to just, you know, you know, drive you nuts and there's some things that you want to respond to. Proverbs 26 verse five says this, be sure to answer the foolish arguments of fools, okay? Or they will become wise in their own estimation. The writer of Proverbs is saying there's sometimes you've got to address foolish people around you. 
Sometimes you gotta speak into some things someone says or they're gonna think they're really smart. Sometimes I, I think there's, there's moments where we just wanna sit on the sideline, not really wanna communicate what we know we should be communicating. But then that leads me to the other side of our language. Wise language is knowing when to respond. Is knowing when to respond. Um, you ever responded to something you shouldn't have responded to? Hey, does this outfit look good today? You know, like, and you don't know how to respond, when to respond. You know, like maybe someone asked you about uh, something happening at work or your, your boss asked you and, and maybe you need to work on when you respond or when you don't respond. Proverbs 26 verse four says, don't answer all the foolish arguments, arguments of fools, or you will become as foolish as they are. That means people are gonna say something that you're not gonna like, and there's gonna be times that you have to just bite your cheek. You just hold your tongue, not respond. In fact, we see all that happening right now in the conflict in the world, that people have opinions. Wisdom is saying, God, how do you want me to respond? Practical application of your truth. Wisdom, when we capture that as a church, this is what it does. Wisdom is an entry point into a conversation about our faith. So, how are you a connection point? Begin with living wisely. Secondly, how are you a connection point? We need to also take interest. Take interest. Philippians chapter 2, verse 4, we see where Paul puts it this way. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. Take an interest in other two. This is, again, Paul highlighting the fact that it's, it's very simple, that when you imitate Jesus, you're taking an interest into other people. You're caring for other people. Philippians chapter two, verse five, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Take interest. Uh, it, it's extremely important that we understand that when we're interested and people, that that's the way Jesus is interested in us. That's a model he leaves us. A connection point is not being the person that waits for them to show interest in us, but for us to say, I'm gonna show an interest in you and in your life. Two big ways we can show someone's interest in life. Learn people's names. Learn people's names. Some of us, man, we got our spots right here. We have our, our, like, man, this is where I sit. This is where I belong. Do you know the people around you's names? Like, as a pastor, I struggle with that at times. I'm like, ah, oh, remind me your name again. I'll just, and, and it's a process. Like, I love social media. That's why we take pictures in culture course, like, to help our team learn names because names matter. Names show authority, names show identity, names show where you belong. There's moments, man, I make a mistake all the time and I call somebody something. There is one lady that I was talking to for over a year and I called her by the wrong name. And you know how polite she was? She didn't say one word until someone said, that's her name? I said, I thought that's her name. And she goes, uh, well, actually my name is. And I was like, no. Because, you know, like, names, like, they matter. Names give us authority. Name gives us identity. Name tells people who we are, what, what we're kind of about. Like, there's a connection point in our psychology with it. Names matter. 
You look at a few of them from the Old Testament. You have this man by the name of Aaron. Aaron, the right hand of Moses. He was this individual that that uh, 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 cares and, and helped Moses lead the Israelite nation out of, of Egypt. And his name's Radiating Light. You see this man by the name of uh, Cain. His name means weapon. Cain killed Abel. Appropriate name. Some identity there. Names matter. And I would even say this. Learn people's names that don't matter. Anybody can know the boss's name, but not the janitor's name. Right? Anybody can know uh, people that can benefit you's name, but not someone that might be able to lift you up. Like it's, it's, it's one of those things. And I will be the first to admit, when I was going through this message, I did not want to say this line, this point, because I've been guilty of it. I'm like, ah, help me. But I would encourage you, be people that try to learn someone's names because it matters. If there's anything we for sure have is our name. Like, we're, we got to go by the B5. So I remember, like, it's like Blake, Brittany, Bodie, Breyer, first service. I kid you not, I forgot my daughter's name. I was like, dude, part of the reason I have this point in here right now is so I say Blakely. Like, that's pretty bad, like Blakely. And so I also said, we're opening it up. Like, we'll take missions donations. If you have another B name for our next baby coming, like, like let's do this thing. Like, hey, remember people's names. It matters to people. Man, I hate to say this, but I am getting a lot of feedback. I don't know if you're hearing that. Um, and then secondly, when it comes to caring for people or taking an interest for people, we need to care about their family, care about their family. Um, families are huge, right? Families matter to us. If you're a parent in the room, if you're a grandparent in the room, I mean, you can talk days about your kid. Like you love your kid. When someone asks about your kid, man, that makes you feel like a million bucks. It's like, hey, they remember the name of, of Bodie, Blakely, Brittany, and, and, and Briar? Like, they remember those names? Like, it, it, like, when they're asking and caring about our family, it means the world to us. In Luke chapter 8, verse 54, Jesus heals this, this uh, young girl who is said to be dead. And then Jesus took her by the hand and said in a loud voice, my child, get up. And at that moment, her life returned, and she immediately stood up, and then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents, I love this, her parents were overwhelmed. The, this word overwhelmed right here means they were besides themselves, outside of their body, this supernatural like feel of experience. They couldn't believe it. You look back in the earlier details of this scripture, the only people that were allowed in this room to see Jesus perform this miracle was those individuals of his closest circle, Peter, James, and John, and then the parents. Overwhelmed. You know, Jesus was in a crowd earlier that day. Jesus was in a crowd. He was busy. He was, he was uh, uh, bogged down in a sense, and yet he cared about someone's family. He cared about someone who is hurting, he, he saw the hurt that, that it says the, the house was crowded. People were weeping and people were mourning because this little girl died and Jesus comes and says, hey, I care. I care for your family. Number one way you can be a connection point, care for the people's families. 
Like, hey, kid has a birthday down the street. You might not have been invited to the party. Your kids might not have been invited to the party. Drop off a little, hey, congratulations, a little birthday card, a little birthday gift. Hey, someone's at work and maybe they are going through some things and struggling with some things. Maybe you just say, hey, I, I care for you and you write them a, a sympathy card or maybe you take them to lunch. Maybe you ask families to, to get together for a barbecue. Take interest, care for people that way. Take interest in their families, their names and their families. And then lastly, when it comes to being a connection point, show Jesus publicly. Show Jesus publicly. Well, what do you mean show Jesus publicly? Um, you know, Jesus speaks that there's this, you know, in the Gospels, there's this passage where he condemns the Pharisees. He gets mad at them because they would show up to the street corner and they would babble and babble and babble, say all these big worded prayers uh, and, and kind of show off their religious uh, aptitude and abilities. And Jesus doesn't like that kind of intent, doesn't like that kind of heart. And in fact, James, his half-brother, comes and he points us over, and this is the kind of direction that we should be living in. And in James chapter 2, verse 18, says this, now someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds, but I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. So how do we show Jesus publicly? By our good deeds. Because here's the truth. There's, we've been looking at this survey. It's, called, it's from Reviving Evangelism with Barna, a big research institute within the Christian sphere. And they said this. They, they did a spiritual assessment test. We have culture course coming next week. If you're looking for a church home, haven't got connected, I encourage you, culture course is your starting point. It happens from 10 to about 1045. Join us immediately following for a service right over here. We make it as easy as possible. And one of the steps in culture course, we do what we call a spiritual assessment test, which, which are a, a spiritual assessment where it's some of your gifts, spiritual assessment gifts. Like, hey, what are you naturally prone to? It's man-made. We just try to help people to discover if they should be a greeter, a prayer warrior, if they should work with kids or youth, and we do this. And there's a bunch of spiritual gifts uh, that, that people could, could have. Um, and so Barna does the spiritual gifts assessment for multiple churches, multiple individuals, multiple followers of Jesus, and they discovered this. Less than 1% of people are gifted with the spiritual gift of evangelism. And in other words, 99% of us really struggle to have a natural uh, a dependency, a natural probability to share Jesus forthright and just out blunt and open. How many of us feel a little bit better about ourselves, right? Like, you're like, man, I've been a little scared to share my faith. So this is what I encourage you to do. Maybe you're in that. I feel like it comes along with the seasons, with how God grows in your life. But I would say if you struggle to verbalize and, 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 and lead in that direction, I would encourage you, highlight your good deeds. Make it about how you're living within your community. Make it about how you're, you're connecting with people. Make it about how, oh man, I picked up that meal over there. Oh, I, I, I said hello to those people. Make it about your good deeds. And that is going to strike a curiosity of like, why are you living that way? Because Jesus publicly went to the cross for me so I can publicly serve you. So live to show Jesus publicly. Two ways that I want to leave you with of how you can show Jesus publicly. 
And first one, there's multiple ways, but here's just top two that have risen the surface. Is this a calming presence? A calming presence. Um, in this season right now, there is a lot of people going redline, energy, opinions, thoughts. And, and I mean, they are full of it. It's, they see red and all this stuff we see on the news. You know the best thing you can do? Walk into any conversation with a calming presence. Hey, my God's got it. Like, you're not scared? No. Why should I be scared? God's got it. Worrying about it's not going to add another minute to my lifetime. Secondly, willing prayers. Willing prayers. Uh, Believe it or not, many people are open to hearing you pray for them. Would love for you to pray for them. In fact, you know many non-believers who are going through something and, and you turn to them and say, hey, I'll pray for you. And they're like, thank you. Appreciate that. Because we're wired to have a relationship with God and we're living in the space. Many people who don't know God are living with separation from God. But they're starving. They deep down know that there's something. There is someone who cares and loves them. I'll wrap up with this story. Um, I went through a, a time, I, I've shared this, I believe. Um, I went through a time where some things were a little challenging, where I was in between uh, what I was going to do. I was living in Las Vegas, and so I started working at a golf course, uh, mowing grass. Uh, so I would go, go to school for a theology degree, and then I'm, I'm mowing grass. It was a very humbling experience for me. It was an experience where I was like, God, like, I thought you're calling me over here. What am I doing over here? And uh, finally, after about three, three and a half months working at this golf course, um, uh, I, I get a call in a position that I'm actually interested in, and, and it ends up being our next position. So I have to quit the golf course because I'm moving to California. Uh, and as I'm telling uh, my, my boss, hey, two weeks, it was my last day of work and uh, wrapping everything up, you know, it's like you've been sweating. It's hot out in Vegas, 110 degrees. You're raking bunkers. You're mowing grass. You're, you're doing some of this stuff. And, uh, you know, like I was excited to go where God's called me to go and do what I felt like is my, is my gift set. And so as I'm in that process, uh, I'm shaking hands with my boss. I'm like, hey, thanks, man. Thanks for the opportunity. Thanks for working with my schedule as I was interviewing. And just very grateful. It was a, it was a cool season. There's about 25, 30 guys that work in this, on this golf course and the lands, grounds crew. And, and this guy comes up to me. His name's John, blonde hair. I'll never forget it. He comes, hey, uh, you, you do that pastor thing right. I'm like, I do that pastor thing right? Like, yeah, I guess that's what you call it, you know? Like, I do that pastor thing, right? And, um, and I go, yeah, well, what, what can I do, man? Like, what's, what's going on? He's like, man, I, I don't know a Christian. Um, I don't really know anybody that's religious. But could you just pray for me? And it, like, we were around people. We were in a weird environment. And I'll be honest, I was like, uh, you really want me to pray for you now? Like, literally, you're putting gas in the mowers right behind us. Like, this is kind of a weird environment. He's like, dude, I, I, I'm in such disarray with his family, so much hurt, so much brokenness that has transpired. He had addiction, and his, he's like, I just didn't know what to do, but I saw that you're this religious guy. Would you pray for me? 
and it got to that point in my mind where I can't assume anything about anybody. That the, the brief interactions I had with this individual, I mean, we didn't hang out every day and nothing like that. The brief interaction is like, I was his only connection point. And I say that because you are some people's only connection point. And that's great responsibility to have. Paul says, I imitate Christ. And I imitate Christ to show people to Christ. So my question for you today is this. Are you living wisely where people are attracted to your life? Are you taking interest in those around you? Are you willing to show Jesus publicly? So I'm going to conclude our service right now. And two groups of people, we're going to enter a time of prayer and then have some closing remarks. First group of people I want to pray over are those individuals uh, who haven't accepted Jesus as their Lord, leader, and Savior of your life. We believe everything that's good has been gifted from God. And we believe that Jesus wants the best for you, that Jesus came in a manger, that he died on the cross, took our place on the cross, bore the sin and the shame of the world for all who were and all who were to come. And three days later, God does the miraculous, raises Jesus from the grave, demonstrating mighty, mighty power. And then Jesus takes his rightful place defeating sin, defeating death, his rightful place at the hand of the almighty God. He bridges that gap between humanity and God, the ultimate perfect sacrifice. And my friends, if you're looking for answers in life, it begins with Jesus. So we're going to pray for those people who are curious, who want to accept Jesus as their Lord and leader. But then I also want to pray as we wrap up this series. Are we going to be people that take the good news out to the world that is very skeptical, very critical, but in desperate need? The Holy Spirit empowers you, emboldens you, does what only the Holy Spirit and God's might can do in your life and uses you to reach your community. And to help us with that, we have invite cards in the lobby. And know this, you're not alone when it comes to sharing the gospel. Let's be a church that gathers together that is encouraged to be with one another but ultimately knows that we have the good news to transform lives and ultimately is willing to do everything to help someone meet Jesus let's pray this morning God here in this place right now you see many of us who've been going through some things been been challenged with some things but right now we're praying for two groups of people the first group uh, we're going to pray for those who need to start a relationship with you want to start a relationship with you are spiritually curious are exploring Lord may they just experience the radical love of your son Jesus and we went to the cross may they know him as the personal Lord leader and savior in your life their lives Lord, we pray for salvations in the church. That's why we do what we do as a church and as a community of believers. 
Lord, we pray also right now for those in this place who maybe sat on the sidelines, haven't shared the gospel, haven't have been struggling, kind of going through the motions. May they have an outward focus. May they be imitators of you. May they be imitators to, to mimic and, and show and practice disciplines, Lord, that honor you, that point people to you because imitating you isn't just about us, but it's about showing others the reason for our lives to be changed. So God, right now, we pray that you be with this church, lead this church. May your Holy Spirit descend and fall upon this church. And may we just honor you in everything we do throughout this week at Trunk or Treat, through sharing the gospel, through Invite Sunday next week. God, we call on you because you are the game changer in our lives. And we thank you for that. Help us to share and declare the good news. In your great and holy name, we all say... Hey, thanks for listening today. If you have any questions or would like to speak to someone concerning this message, we invite you to fill out our online communication card at faithnfm.com. And if you're able, we'd love to have you with us in person on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m. or on the best night of the week for Wednesday prayer at 7 p.m. We're at 7101 Bayshore Road in North Fort Myers, just two miles west of I-75 at exit 143. Thanks again for listening.